welcome to episode four of the Sportable Podcast, um, or as I like to call it, the show where I say um and like and things like that way, way, way too much. I am your host, Josh Sloan. I'm also the volunteer and outreach coordinator with Sportable, and I am here with my fourth guest, Meredith Sauter. That's Meredith with a Y. Don't get it confused with Meredith with an I. That's Meredith Tyree. They're pretty much best friends as far as I can tell. They've got the same name, but you can tell Meredith with a Y, and I don't know if she is like, do you like it when people, do you find it annoying when people spell it with an I? Sure. So, like you said, Meredith Sauter with a Y, also known as M1 in the Sportable family. Um, Let's see, I've lived in the Richmond, Virginia area a little less than three years now. Kind of lived all over the place. Um, I went to University of Maryland. I'm not a Terp fan, but I love being a Terrapin. Uh, let's see. I've been a sportable athlete for a couple years now. I totally love sportable. I've got two teenage kids that I love more than anything in the world. I've got a cute little funny dog, um, Atlas, who actually is probably as famous as I am. He was in the news a couple years ago. He had a little emergency, but he was saved and all is good. And let's see, what else are you looking for? What happened to Atlas? Atlas um, ran away one day. <laughs> He's unfortunately hard of hearing, and I could not call him back. And he ran about two miles away from the house and fell into a pond when the pond was frozen over, and he couldn't get out of the water. So the emergency department, fire, rescue, police, everybody uh, came and pulled him out of the water, thank God. And he survived. It was a, a shocking thing that happened, but... Like I said, luckily, everything worked out well. But he made the, the Richmond News. Oh my he was God. in the paper. He was on the TV. It was crazy. Did, 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 was somebody, like, walking around the lake and saw him? What happened? How- so that's exactly what happened. In Jan- it was two Januarys ago when we had that really, really bad storm. Mm-hmm. And the schools were closed for a couple of days. So all the little kids in the neighborhood, I guess, were out sledding or something. And, yeah, they saw him fall into the lake. And they were like, oh, my God. They ran home. They told an adult. The adult was like, oh, no, what should we do? And this guy was amazing. He actually went out in a kayak and saved Atlas. He pulled him out with the kayak. It was unbelievable. That so, is awesome. Yeah. So it's, it's uh, like I said, we're a little famous here in Richmond. Absolutely. <laughs> Him more than me, though. <laughs> and then yeah. got two teenagers. Um, we're, we're, while we're recording this, we're still in quarantine time. So tell me about what it's like having two teenagers that aren't at school during the day. So actually, my younger teenager, who's a ninth grader, was already homeschooled. So not much change there. Uh, the older one is having a little bit harder of a time because the older one was in a program that was career-focused um, at what's called the Chesterfield Technical and Career Center or something like that. Um, yep. That's been hard because when you really know what you want to do with your life and love it, and then it gets taken away from you, you know, you got to figure out, well, how do I cope with that? So we've been working on little projects here in the house. Uh, believe it or not, we've been going outside. So the, the program's called the Environmental Biotechnology Program. So we've actually been going outside and looking at the flowers and talking about trees. And I mean, we try to keep encouraging some of the same things that maybe they would have been doing in class. But we're good. Life's good at the house. Everybody gets along. Everybody is nice to each other. Uh, we're social distancing most of the time, and some of the time we're not. We're hugging, and <laughs> we're still, totally. you know, doing the family thing. So, no, it's actually, it's okay. I mean, we miss being outside. We miss being with friends. We miss being with family. But we're making the best of it. And like I said, we're continuing to try to do some of the same things we always were doing before. Absolutely. That's great. Yeah. That's great that you guys are able to, you know, I I, I I think it's nice to get to spend, you know, whoever you live with, um, to be honest, even if, even if you live by yourself, you, there can be some really positive benefits to, to spending some time at home. Like you get to, like, I, I've been enjoying, um, I live in an apartment attached to my mom and stepdad's house and I've been enjoying, like we've been cooking together, which is not really something we ever do. Um, and that's been really fun. Um, so yeah, you know, the little things that I think can really make this, a little bit more manageable. I agree. I try to stay positive. What I've been telling people I know is I'm not living for what it will be like later. I'm living for what it is every day. I'm exercising every day. I'm calling people I love and telling them I love them. 
I'm trying to learn new things, which for me is challenging because I'm not really that kind of a person. But, you know, now is the time for someone like me who's visually impaired to learn Braille. I kept resisting learning Braille. And my attitude is, well, now I have all the time in the world to learn it if I want to. Uh, That's right. So there's things like that. Also, I have friends who are hearing impaired. And I know a little bit of sign language, but again, now is the time to improve my sign language skills. So you're right. This is an interesting time. I'm trying to stay positive. I'm trying to look to the future in a good way and say, who do I want to be on the other side of this? Not just sad and complaining and, oh, I want to do that. Yeah, we're all there, right? Every single one of us is sad that we can't do X. But my attitude is, what can we do now that will make us better when this is all over? So. Yeah, I mean, and I think that everything you said is great advice, not just for the quarantine, but just for life in general. I mean, you know, if you're not focused on what to make better and how to be, you know, and just enjoy yourself in the moment that you're currently living in, it's, you know, you're just going to be always looking either forward or backwards to get, you know, some, some relief. I just, I don't think there's any way to live, you know, you try to have fun, be happy with where you're at right now in the moment is something that I very much believe in. Um, So you said you exercise every day. Tell me about that. What have you been doing? Yeah. So uh, outside of Sportable, you were asking me that before. Outside of Sportable, I pretty much walk five to seven times a week. I try to go before I was only going about three miles when there was other activities going on. I've extended that to between five and eight miles now when I go. It really started with the whole 10K, right? We were all supposed to do the 10K back in March. And because that didn't happen, uh, the other Meredith and I did that 10K anyway that Sports Backers was promoting and pushing. So we actually did two 10Ks. We did The race was supposed to be on Saturday. We did one on Friday and one on Sunday. So we actually did like, I don't know, I want to say 15 plus miles in, well, over the three-day span, but in two days. So that just kind of pushed us and promoted us to say, hey, you know what? (laughs) Six miles before would have been hard. Now it's nothing. Now we're up to, like I said, seven, eight miles sometimes. So it's really just mostly walking. I'm not really doing much other activities, being visually impaired, uh, taking out the bike. I'm not all excited about taking out the bike. It's a little safer now than it used to be just because the roads are open, but there's still, you know, the chance of having a a small accident. I'm not really doing too much in the house as far as like alternative weightlifting, but you know, I can do isometrics. I can do some squats. I can do some push-ups. I can, you know, things like that. You know, isometrics are great for anybody. If you have no equipment in your house whatsoever, you can't, you know, do a lot. Let's say either maybe you're infirmed or you're ill, or, you know, maybe you have major paralysis. I mean, if there's any kind of just strain the muscle, right? Do that little isometric exercise, at least keep the muscles going and and try to do the range of motion and everything. So that's really the stuff I'm working on is keeping my range of motion up, keeping the muscles moving. Uh, The walking though is definitely the most important exercise for me right now. Yeah, that's great. And you get the opportunity not just to get the exercise benefits of walking, but also the benefits of getting outside, getting some vitamin D, seeing some trees and some, you know. Exactly. Yeah. That vitamin D is critical. Right. You get, I mean, it's some suburban nature, but it's certainly better than just staying inside, I think, for sure. Um, yeah, that's awesome. I actually did the 10K anything, anyway thing, too, and I really didn't realize. Um, I basically just started pushing around my neighborhood in my rugby chair. It's just something to to stay active and, like, fill the time doing. And just finished one day and checked my Strava and was like, oh, I did, like, six six some miles that's cool exactly <laughs> i wonder what a 10k is and i like looked it up and i was like hey cool look at that. i did a 10k now Th- all that's right. right it's almost like it's nothing now right it's so funny how yeah, i know i know now i mean basically do at least six miles every time i go out that's the point uh, right i mean for some yeah. people it's like oh my god a 10k that's so much and then you're like when you got nothing to do a 10k is nothing <laughs> nope every time i'm out and i'm like getting tired all i have to do to say to myself is like what else are you gonna do you can go back in the house right what are you gonna do in there right yeah, no, I, I'm like you said, I'm kind of striving for that 10K almost every day now, right? It's not just totally. 10K any day, it's a 10K almost every day. So yeah, it's it's been good to be out. Now, I will say I'm cheating slightly because I am meeting up with Meredith, right? So I'm not isolating and only going by myself. So we meet in either a common place, 
or, you know, she'll come to the house and we'll just meet outside in the driveway and then we walk together. So I know for a lot of people, they don't have somebody to be with. So that's really hard. But she and I are both single. So we don't have somebody to be with kind of in the house. Um, so we at least have each other to meet up with. So I encourage everybody who does feel isolated by themselves, either in an apartment or a house or wherever they are, you know, call a friend and just say, let's meet on the street and then keep our six feet distance and then go from there. Yeah, I mean, you know, you got Zoom calls too. I mean, people are being using creative ways. And I mean, you know, you and Meredith have a good relationship and you trust each other. And, you know, I'm sure you're having a very open dialogue about where y'all are going outside of, you know, being socially distant, but like with each other so that, you know, I'm sure you guys are doing it as, as safely as you possibly can. Oh, we um, are. I mean, I, <laughs> I'll be very frank. I haven't been anywhere in a month. I mean, I know that sounds crazy, but when you don't have a car, there's nowhere to go. <laughs> so, no, no, it doesn't sound crazy to me. I haven't been anywhere either. Yeah, so you know what I mean. Meredith's gone out a little bit just because her son can drive. So they've gone to like the grocery store a couple times. You know, the typical run. You got to get the TP. You got to get the pharmacy stuff. But she too has really not gone anywhere. So we are. We're being very safe. We're staying at home. We are safer at home. And now again, but at least we have each other, which is nice. Right, right. Well, that's great. I'm glad that you're finding... Um, ways to maintain normalcy, ways to stay active. Um, and, you know, it seems like you're doing as best you can, given the circumstances. Yeah, we sure are. So tell me a little bit about your history with Sportable. Like, or you can really start before that if you want and talk about your history with adaptive sports if you did it somewhere. I know you've lived all, all over. If you kind of did adaptive sports somewhere else, that's kind of how you fell in love with it. And then you came here and you searched us up and you found us. And just you can just kind of go through all of that if you want. Sure. So I will go back a little bit so people know a little bit more about me. I was actually a physical education major in college at University of Maryland. Totally wanted to be a PE teacher. That was my whole goal in life. I wanted to be a coach. I wanted to coach basketball. I did some athletic training. I mean, I was all in it, right? And then I graduated from college and I went, hmm, PE teachers don't make a lot of money. <laughs> so I was like, okay, maybe this isn't for me. I mean, not to say that money motivates me, but just the stress of the student teaching experience was really painful for me. I found that I would connect with the kids too closely. I wanted to fix all of them, save all of them, help all of them, you know, take all of them home and make it better. It just, it wasn't for me, unfortunately. So I actually switched careers immediately, went back to school and, and went into marketing, which was healthy, like I said, for me. Being, being too close to the kids was not good for me. I think now that I'm older, I can separate from them a little bit better, which is, I'm, I'm kind of back in the mode. I'm, I'm now in academics again, but I'm not teaching, but I am at the community college here. So it's good. I, I get to still have a relationship with the kids, but at a different level. So I continued to be an athlete. I didn't even know I was disabled until I was in my 30s. So I sort of had that normal, regular routine athletic life. I played tennis, I golfed, I did all sorts of stuff. And Adaptive sports didn't come into my life, like I said, until just recently. So between my diagnosis with my retinal condition at 32 years old and moving to the Richmond, Virginia area three years ago, I did not participate in any sports. I gave it up. I actually decided that sports weren't part of my life anymore. And it was really, really painful for me because, again, sports were my life, are my life. I mean, right. I'm a jock, right? I consider myself 100% a jock. So to not do much of anything for about 10 years was really bad. So coming to this area, I will absolutely give the hugest shout out to Department of Blind and, and Visually Impaired. They were the ones who introduced me to Sportable because I literally called them the day I moved here and registered as a client of theirs and just said, hey, <laughs> I'm new here. I don't know anybody here. I'm a big social butterfly. I want to make friends. But what do I do about the sports stuff? And they said, oh, there's this group called Sportable. I'm like, what's Sportable, right? And that just started like the best thing that's ever happened to me in my life recently. So I contacted you all, of course, right. signed up as an athlete. And I mean, it's just been the most amazing experience of my life. I've done sports that I know how to play, of course. You know, I went back to tennis. I had not played tennis in 10 years. I mean, it was I actually cried. <laughs> I'll be 100% honest with you. I cried when I went home that day because I could not believe that I was back out on the tennis court hitting a tennis ball and couldn't make contact, right, That's... with my vision impairment. I was just, oh, it was wonderful, right? 
So I want to um, interject for a second because I, I want yeah. to know this. Um, this is the kind of person Meredith is. Meredith, we didn't have a tennis for people with visual impairments program. We had a wheelchair tennis program and Meredith was just like, I want to do, I want to play tennis. And we were just kind of like, um, <laughs> okay. <sure. laughs> and she just advocated for that. And now that has like become a part of what we do, um, which is just incredible. I mean, like anybody with a disability knows that self-advocacy is, I talked about this a lot on episode one with um, Matt Shapiro, but self-advocacy is, advocacy is like, a skill you really have to develop as a person with a disability if you want to do the things that you want to do in a lot, a lot of instances. And Meredith is a really, really great example of someone who can just be very like upfront and direct in a very positive and logical way and say, this is what I need. This is what I want to do and do it in like a respectful way that you can say like, okay, let's do that. And then you can see that yielding with her talking about her experiences getting to play tennis again. I just think that's really, really cool. Cause I, I mean, I mean, I think we're a big part of you getting the, to be happy to be playing tennis again, but I also think that you were a huge part of you being able to play tennis again. So well, I just didn't, I didn't have the opportunity. Right. right. So here's kind of like a sad part of the story, right? So I had contacted the United States tennis association like a dozen times and contacted their disability office, and they never got back to me because I don't think they even think that people who are blind and visually impaired can play tennis. And it was like, really? Why is that? Why do you think that I can't? I mean, there's all sorts of technology out there today, like echolocation. You can even just use a guide. I mean, there's so many ways that you can still participate in things. No, it's not the same, right? Me playing tennis today and me playing tennis 25 years ago is completely different. But I can still participate. And isn't that the whole point of Sportable? It's to be inclusive. Right. Exactly. Right. So I, I'm not only self-advocating, but I'm also advocating for everybody with a disability to participate in anything that they want to participate in. Yeah. Right. So I got the other Meredith out there. Um, we got Ray Vern out there, who also has a visual impairment playing tennis. So I'm grateful to Sportable that they actually made the decision to go against sort of the Paralympic model to say, Okay, wheelchair tennis is a Paralympic sport, but we've got other athletes who still want to participate. Blind tennis is not a Paralympic sport, but why not include them again and make it a truly inclusive sport for everybody? Totally. Um, so tell me a little bit about how you play tennis, because tennis is not a program that I participate in. Um, so I haven't really been out and about with the our tennis program in a long time, other than just hearing about it around the office. So. So I really want to thank Forrest Lodge and Kyle Hitzelberg. They've been the two program managers for that program the couple of years I've been participating. They've really worked with me to figure out how, again, someone with a visual impairment can participate in tennis. They've not only bought different colored tennis balls, they've changed some of the drills. They've allowed us to sort of be on a court by ourselves because a lot of wheelchair tennis is, of course, played in a doubles format. Uh, visually impaired people should not be playing a doubles format because they will run into each other. Right, right, yeah. So they have been so amazing to not only adapt the sport for the chair athletes, but they've also now helped to adapt the sport for visually impaired athletes. So how do we play? Like I said, a lot of it is muscle memory. Meredith was a huge tennis player also back in the day. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know that Ray Vern probably played, but if you have played a sport, I think you know that most athletes can close their eyes and still do what they used to do. Right. So that, that's sort of the approach that I take. Now, I can still see. You know, I, do, I don't want to tell people on the podcast I'm completely blind. I'm not. I probably have about 70% of my vision, but it's in pockets, and that's kind of hard to explain. It's like looking through a piece of Swiss cheese. Some of it you see. Some of it you don't see. I don't see well in the dark. So if the court is not lit, it's really hard at night, of course. I, I honestly can't see the ball at all. Uh, I also have the most amazing, amazing tennis partner, Steve Howell. He's a volunteer. And what Steve has done for me is he can place the ball in a very specific spot. So I can't do lobs. I can't do um, any kind of volleying. I'll just do baseline shots, and Steve will just place the ball right where I need it to be placed so that I can see it. And we just do amazing rallies back and forth. So it's the combination of 
the program managers adapting the program and the particular volunteer that I've been working with, who's just, like I said, one of the best tennis players I've ever honestly played with. Yeah. Man, that is awesome. And also, yeah, uh, you said it was hard to explain, but I think you did a really great job explaining the way in which. Well, thank you. Um, so that's one program. And I know yes. participate in a whole lot more than one. So let's just kind of go through them. What's what's okay. next? What, what other what other um, sports do you do with us? So I did archery. I have not continued to do it only because of a shoulder injury, but I love archery. And again, people are going to sit here and say, how do you do archery when you're visually impaired? So the good news about, again, my visual impairment is I can see straight ahead. Right? My condition is called retinitis pigmentosa, and what that is in layperson's terms is it's tunnel vision. So think about a archery target literally straight ahead of you. If it's not moving, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so I started off on, so there was three ranges at the uh, Rockwood Nature Center, and they started me, of course, on the first short range because they just wanted to see my skills. And the good news is I only stayed on the short range maybe one or two sessions, uh, I was given a bow that I could shoot. Okay, so let me explain something for a second. I am right-handed, and I'm right-eye dominant. Unfortunately, my right eye is the bad eye. I only see about 2080. Okay. And of what I do see, it's very blurry. So I rely mostly on my left eye. With it being my non-dominant eye, and I'm also not left-handed, I have had to learn to adapt my own skills so Lisa at the Nature Center gave me a compound bow that I could shoot left-handed. Awesome. So she also, again, big shout out to Lisa, who's the coach there, got me the proper equipment, gave me the bow, gave me the long arrows, right? She went out and bought the longer arrows for me because I'm very tall. I'm five foot ten. I have very long arms. So my pull is very long, so you can't really use that shorter pull. And moved to that middle range right away was very successful in the middle range. That was the first season. Uh, the second season, I actually moved to the long range and wasn't as successful, of course, just because it's harder. It's, hard, <laughs> it's not because, yeah. right, it's not because I wasn't seeing well or that the equipment wasn't good. It's just obviously the longer the distance, the harder it is. So really love archery, would continue to do the archery. Unfortunately, like I said, I got a shoulder impingement last season and had to sort of retire for a little while. But did a great job at Rockwood. Again, the team there is wonderful. Um, I was thrilled to death to see that Rockwood actually paved a portion of the grounds there so that folks who are in a chair could more easily access the park. Yeah. So again, a fully, a fully inclusive sport. People who can't hear, can't see, are in a wheelchair, you know, whatever, the dis doesn't matter. That facility is fantastic for any athlete of any ability. Um, if you don't mind me mentioning another one of the athletes who I'm close with, he is completely visually impaired. They used a guide who stood behind him and helped him line up his arrow to the, to the target. And then we also put like a little speaker on the target to give him, again, that kind of echolocation, that, that hearing, so that he could orient properly to where the target was. Yeah, so I again, you guys have done a tremendous job helping anybody, depending on the level of, of the visual impairment, a tremendous job to make sure that we can all participate in these sports. Yeah, no, I know who you're talking about. I actually, wanna, I want to have him on this show. Uh, he's one of my favorite people. Um, yeah, he's great. Yeah, no, I, I would also, I did our archery program for maybe three or four years. Um, I've, I've gotten so busy with some other sports that I have kind of dropped out of the archery program as like a recurring thing that I do. But yeah, I mean, to be able to adapt archery to somebody with my level of quadriplegia was also, I mean, something that took us really, I mean, weeks and weeks to really, I don't, I, it's just, you just kind of, kind of have to keep re-looking at it and, and, and trying new things. And Lisa and um, the different program staff who have been part of that program as it, Really, I got really kind of more proficient in archery when Nicole was around. But, um, I mean, the time and the energy that the coaches and the staff will take to adapt these different sports, particularly the individual ones, to whatever your disability type is, is, I mean, I think one of the things that we really excel at as an organization. And, again, couldn't do it without our partners and coaches that help with those sports, in this case, that being uh, Chesterville County and our coach, Lisa. Um, yeah, absolutely. So. 
Let's talk about kayaking. I love kayaking. You, you. Oh my God, kayaking. So <laughs> if you want to laugh, it's the other Meredith's fault why I kayaked, right? So I totally was not going to do kayaking. I did not sign up for it. And then she's like, oh, we're going kayaking. <laughs> I was like, okay, fine. So I give her all the credit in the world that she got me to go out there and go kayaking. And I'll be honest with you, I fell in love with it. It, it was just the most beautiful experience. Again, I was fearful of being on the James in a kayak by myself with my visual impairment and didn't know what to expect, right? There's rocks in the water, there's trees hanging down, there's limbs, there's all these things that could cause a potential accident or an injury for me. And it was my fear that prevented me from going. So, you know, I got there, Greg, love you, Greg, to death. Again, Chesterfield County, Park and Rec, love Greg to death and, and that whole team there. They suited us up. They got us out there. It was the most beautiful, that very first time, it was the most beautiful experience. Um, the water was wonderful. The, the scenery was beautiful. And again, to be honest with you, there was no adaption necessary for me because we just kind of stayed in a group. Right. And as long as I kind of paid attention to who was near me, in front of me, or behind me, everybody put me in a very safe situation. There was only a couple times as it got further into the um, the practice that I went off on my own a little bit. Maybe one or two of us were a little bit stronger or a little bit more inquisitive or adventurous. Yep. So I paired off a couple times and went off on my own a little bit. And that was fun, too. But I really enjoyed the group dynamic. Um, one of my favorites was meeting another one of the visually impaired athletes who's quite younger than me. And we just became the best friends and, you know, here she and I, neither one of us can see where we're going, but who cares? Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> it didn't matter. Again, if we, if we stayed in kind of that overall group, we were very safe. So all my fears of having accidents or, or tipping over or running into something, gone, gone. Greg did a tremendous job. Again, the volunteers in the kayaking program, Forrest, love him to death. He did a great job organizing it, coordinating it. It was, it was really fun. Yeah, that, that program has been huge for me as well. Um, when I was able-bodied, really, like, outdoor sports were really my bread and butter. And our kayaking program was and really is still one of the my main ways of really getting some, like, actual full-on nature going. Um, that can be really difficult as a chair user because hiking is – there is hiking that exists, but it is very, very sporadic and few and far between um, sure. where you can go. But when you get in a boat, there's nothing that you can't do as long as the water goes to that spot. So kayaking has been like a complete godsend for me. Um, the coolest part for me about the kayaking, you could not tell who was disabled, who was a coach, who was a volunteer. Everybody was equal in that boat. That yeah. is the only sport I think I've ever seen where every single one of us looked the same, yeah. which to me was was amazing. Because, again, most other sports, either you're in a chair or you're using your cane or, you know, there's some other thing going on where you can kind of sort of tell who's who. Kayaking, I actually had to ask somebody if they were a volunteer or an athlete. I couldn't tell. <laughs> I love it. So that was really great. So what other sports? Um so let's see, recreationally, so not really playing in the program, but recreationally, I decided to go back to basketball. So for those of you who don't know me, basketball is my first love. I was actually a high school basketball player. I was the captain of the team. I went to college and walked on to the um, NCAA Division One basketball team, unfortunately got injured, so I didn't really have a career. But basketball is, was, and will always be my first love. So... You know, I kept seeing the wheelchair basketball program, and Forrest is just, again, the most tremendous program manager for that program and also a tremendous athlete in that program. And uh, <laughs> he always shows everybody up. He's really good at wheelchair basketball. <laughs> he is really good at wheelchair basketball. <laughs> and I, I felt like I couldn't participate. So I went to him and said, hey, I'm not going to sit in a chair with my visual impairment without a helmet. I know that sounds funny, but it's true. Um, I would get injured in a wheelchair basketball setting because really? I just can't see the ball moving anymore. No, 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 I got you. Right. So I just said to him, hey, can I come out and just be with everybody and do my own thing? And he's like, of course. 
So I did. I started going to St. Christopher's, the most beautiful gym I've ever seen, and just shot around, did my thing. I actually had Meredith take some pictures of me using my cane while playing basketball. Because again, is, is blind basketball a thing? No, it's not. But let me tell you, there's a lot of people who are visually impaired and blind who still play basketball. Yeah. Because they have techniques now, right? So the hoop itself can beep, the ball can beep. You know, you don't have to play offense, defense per se, but you can still dribble. You can still pass gently or you can roll it, which is my technique. I roll the basketball back and forth. I don't actually pass it. And you can still shoot. If you have some orientation to where the basket is and about how high it is, you can still shoot. I've seen videos online of, of people who are completely blind still playing basketball. To me, it's, it's just, it brought me again back to like how tennis came back. Basketball came back also. I was able to go out and shoot and have fun and laugh and, and, and just, it was so much fun to participate in that program. That's awesome. That's awesome to hear. Well, um, I keep having to, Everton. I left my two favorite to the end. Honestly. Yeah, no, I know. That's what I was going to say. I, 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 have we, are we, have we arrived at the goal ball conversation? Well, so we'll arrive at goal ball after we do my other passion. So sportable has not only let me come back to things I knew, it has introduced me to two new things that I am so insanely and obsessively passionate about. It's crazy. So a couple years ago, Sportable was still hosting an air rifle program for their veteran athletes. And I, being the self-advocate, as you already mentioned, Josh, <laughs> went to Forrest and said, hey, I really want to do air rifle. And he says, well, it's really only for veterans. I said, would you please open it for non-veterans just to try it out and see how it goes? And he's like, okay. So a couple of us actually went. And let me tell you something. That was the most exciting experience of my life. Again, it's a target that doesn't move. It's straight ahead. Yeah, it's kind of far away. It's 10 meters, which is 33 feet. So it's not close, but I fell in love immediately. So much that I have bought my own air rifle. I now compete in other programs and tournaments. And I just, before this whole thing happened with the <clears throat> coronavirus, I actually participated in the Paralyzed Veterans of America. They have an air rifle tournament. And I won first place for visually impaired category. <laughs> what? Oh, yeah, I won. <laughs> awesome! And was that with the so, was that with TVA Mid Atlantic? Was that with like Aaron and everybody? Yep, it was with Aaron. And then you have um, the air. I guess he's the air sports air rifle pistol. And maybe there's some other shooting events. The national director is John Arbino, and John is just the most incredible guy ever. He himself is also a disabled athlete. I think he was actually on the Paralympic shooting team. John gave me tips and pointers and just my skills with air rifle shooting have just, I mean, you want to be punny? Blown up. <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. So I just want to thank, again, Forrest and Sportable for introducing me to air rifle. It, it really, I go on my own all the time now. I go to Dominion Shooting Range, and um, I love it there. They're wonderful to me. They're good to me. You know, a lot of times you see an athlete walking in with a cane and a gun, and everybody runs, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I was not the first person to ever walk into their shooting range with a cane and a gun. So they do serve athletes of all kinds. So I want people to know, don't ever feel fearful or scared or like, I can't do that. You go. And if the place has experienced an athlete like you before, it'll be great. If they never have, teach them. Make it an opportunity for you to teach them how to serve the entire community. So, Absolutely. Love my air rifle. So let's talk about Goldball. All right, yeah, so <laughs> let's do it. Um, you can I, I don't even start, know what but Make say. sure you really break down what it is because, like, I don't think all, a lot, all of our listeners are going to know what goalball is or how it like, functions. So if you want to just start from the, you know, start from the very beginning, that'd be great. Okay, so uh, that's where we'll start then because I didn't even know where to start because I could talk about goalball for like three hours. <laughs> so we'll start with what goalball actually is. And I'll spell it because people say gold ball. I'm like, no, goal, G-O-A-L, goalball. And what this is, is a sport that was designed for people who are blind and visually impaired. It is a Paralympic sport. And I would suggest to everybody to just Google goalball Paralympic sport and watch the video. It's like the most incredible thing you'll ever see. 
So what it is, it's a three-on-three game on sort of like a basketball, volleyball-sized court. Yeah, um, there, right. There's a full-length net that's about chest high on each end. So it's sort of like hockey, but a much longer net. It's about that size, though. And the three athletes on each side have a position of either left wing, right wing, or center. The three athletes um, are on a team. You can pass it. You can call to each other. You can talk to it. You can do whatever you need to do in your team environment as long as you're the one that has the ball. All right, this is almost like a silent sport. It's really interesting. So when the ball is put into play, the first three athletes will throw the ball to the other side with the three athletes on the other side defending. They lay down sort of like, how do I describe it? Ankle, knee, hip, shoulder, like you're laying on your side. You're not laying on your back or on your tummy. You're laying on your side, although Kyle will always tell you I lay on my tummy. Uh, <laughs> you're supposed to lay on your side, and then the ball hits your body somewhere, and that's how you defend and stop the ball. I'll be honest with you. The ball is really heavy, has a bell in it that's hard to hear, and when it hits you, it does not tickle. <laughs> Oh. I have gotten hit in the tummy. I've been hit in the face. I've been hit in the, you know, we, the women areas. <laughs> it's not comfortable when that ball hits you. But let me tell you something. That is the most fun sport I've ever played in my life. It's fast. You only have 10 seconds from the time you touch the ball on defense until you release the ball back to the other side. So the, the sport goes really, really fast. There's no time to like, where's the ball? I can't find it. The cool part about how do you find it, right? So that's the question most people who are sighted will ask. Well, how do you see where you are on the court? Or how do you find the ball? So there's these little um, pieces of tape on the floor that the athletes use. They touch with their hand or their feet to guide themselves. So there's actually a whole orientation that you do prior to teaching your athlete how to play the game. You orient them to the court itself. So once you've done that, then, like I said, if you get lost, you just get down on your hands and knees, you put your hands on the ground, you feel around, you go, okay, that's where I am. Now I know how to get back to my position. Um, yeah, it's, it's like I said, it's the most incredible sport. I've never played it before Sportable. So again, I want to thank Sportable and Department for Blind and Visually Impaired for pulling this program together. Greg Chinnam over at DBVI, he's my hero. I mean, he was at every practice supporting everybody, cheering for everybody. You know, there was other folks from DBVI who worked there doing the same thing, cheering for the athletes, supporting us all. It, it was great. And we got to use their facility um, as well. So I want to thank them for that. I, I'd be remiss not to also mention Kyle because Kyle um, really, Hickelberg, who's our, one of our program managers, manages the goalball program, really championed that program. That was really his baby. Um, so shout out to Kyle as well. Oh, uh, Kyle's my hero. I, I mean, again, Kyle called me before the whole program started and said, hey, <laughs> you know what goalball is? And I'm like, kind of. He says, let's figure it out together. So we met a couple times. We looked over some instructions. We watched some videos together. We just really talked about, like, how could we drive this and really get this out there? And again, I want to say one thing about him. He took the fully inclusive route. We had a couple of athletes who were not even blind or visually impaired participate. We had folks who may have had a small ambulatory issue or may have had some uh, illness or, again, some small paralysis. They were still able-bodied enough to participate. Once you put those blindfolds on, uh, nobody can see, right? So whether you have some vision, no vision, a little bit of vision, whatever, it didn't matter. We had a couple athletes out there who I, I want to thank them for participating in the program and showing them that, Again, this is a sport for everybody. It's not just a sport for blind and visually impaired people because once you put that sleep shade on, we're all the same. And just to clarify, everyone who plays the sport, regardless of their level of a visual impairment or not, has to wear a blindfold that makes the playing field as level as possible in terms of sight because once you put that blindfold on, everybody can see the exact same amount, which is none at all. Which is nothing. Yeah. Exactly. You are... You are completely in the dark. And again, for somebody like me who still has some vision, it was actually really challenging in the beginning because I haven't spent a lot of time, quote unquote, in the dark, right? I don't, I, 
in my house, I have a lamp in every room. The lights are always on. I mean, I overlight spaces just to stay safe and so that I can see where I'm going. So to really close those eyes and then put that shade on, your other senses totally open up. Oh, and I do want to say something about Meredith Tyree. I mean, Meredith is the most incredible athlete I've ever seen. Not only is she visually impaired, but she's also hearing impaired. And to play goalball, when the whole point of the sport is you're listening for the ball right. and you're listening to your teammates yelling to you or saying, hey, pass it to your right. Meredith's hearing is pretty good when there's not like an echo in a gym or a ball that has a little bell in it that sounds like sleigh bells. Right. She barely could hear anything in this gym and could she could never hear the ball, to be honest with you, she told me. And you know what? She was a monster out there. She killed it out there. She played just as hard and just as well as everybody else. So even if you're hearing impaired slightly, I want to encourage people to still consider goalball as an option. I, I don't want you to think that it's not an opportunity for you just because, again, you may be hearing impaired or potentially completely deaf. You can still participate. That's awesome. You and, you and Meredith's friendship, I hope you don't mind me saying this, is like the most adorable thing in the world to me. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> I think the same thing. <laughs> so, she's amazing. She's the best friend I've ever had in my life. And you know why? It's because we understand each other. Yep. And that's the other That's the other really cool part about Sportable, by the way, is the camaraderie. When you meet somebody and you become friends with them, but you don't share the things that we share as a common group of people, it's a, kind of, to me, a different relationship. I have very good friends. I've had friends for 20 years that I love and adore. But I'll be honest with you. When you meet another athlete who shares the same disability that you have, you have a bond that is so strong and honestly unbreakable. We get each other. When we go to archery together or when we go to air rifle together, we're the only two who can kind of understand what has to be done so that we can participate and be successful. Like when we have a sighted person helping us at air rifle, they don't understand that we can't see the target that great. <laughs> right. So we have to explain to them what we can and can't see. But if we help each other, we know exactly what we can and can't see. So that's the bond that's unbreakable is really understanding, empathizing, caring about that that disability is not going to stop me from doing what I want to do and being successful. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's, you know, it, I try not to make talk about rugby too much on this podcast because I want it to be about all the sportable, but I mean, it, everything you're saying is just reminds me of being able to play quad rugby because you're just a, everybody that's playing has such a similar disability to me. And it's just, I mean, it's just another world. It's just a completely yeah. other world from what you're used to. It's like, you're saying, I've got, you and I are both very like outgoing people. I've got tons of able-bodied friends. I'm, I'm not, um, I think for a lot of folks with disabilities, they they find like socialization is particularly if like you were able-bodied or were sighted and then have something um, happen where you all of a sudden now are disabled, keeping some of your friend networks the same as they were before can be difficult. That's really not something that's been a big issue for me, but it's like you're saying, I mean, the, the bonds that you form with people that have the same disability as you are just, they're so important to having like a fulfilling life, I think, when you have a disability. Um, Absolutely. I, I don't want to speak for everybody, but. Well, I mean, for me, the, the other thing that Sportable did for me, and it's not just Meredith, of course, um, it's all the other visually impaired athletes. Um, it has freed me. I literally am free. I don't face judgment. I don't have criticism. I don't feel like, the disabled person, right? I am just me. I'm myself. I am the person I used to be. It's the only environment I'm ever in now where I can be who I was because I gave up a lot with my life. Like, again, a lot of the athletes on our program, they were somebody before and then their life changed and now they're somebody else. Uh, people who were in my life before I found out I was losing my vision and actually now I'm, again, disabled, not working anymore really and all that. I don't really communicate with those people anymore. They think, you know, I fell off the planet. Yep. <laughs> and it's not because I fell off the planet. It's because they don't understand who I am and they don't understand who I've become. 
and I don't know that they want to be in my life anymore. So my attitude is I want to be around people that want to know who I am today, not who I used to be. So that's, that's what Sportable's done for me. It's freed me to be who I am regardless. If it's tennis, basketball, you know, kayaking, air rifle, I'm just me. I'm Meredith, the same Meredith I was 35 years ago or 35 years from now. It doesn't matter. I, I can be totally 100% free. It, it's, it's a feeling that I cannot describe. You have to feel it for yourself. Th that absolute feeling of 100% comfort. Absolute. I, I just, again, Amber, Kyle, and Forrest, you, Josh, I mean, Hunter, Wendy, I mean, I can't talk about enough of you. You guys have made me feel normal. I hate to use that word, but isn't that kind of like the word that we use that people hate to use? Because what is normal? There is no such thing as normal anymore. But there's this feeling that I'm not different. I'm just like everybody else when I'm exportable. For anybody that's listening to this that has a disability knows that that's not what it's like out in the world for us. Right, exactly. But for those of you that don't, people, if you have a visible disability, not a visual one, but what I'm saying is one that people can see. If you're in the grocery store and Meredith's in the grocery store and she's got a cane or I'm in the grocery store and I'm using a wheelchair, that's a visible disability. The outside world knows we're disabled on site. If you have that kind of disability, people don't know how to deal with you. And that alone causes so much just strife for us and to be able to be in environments where that is gone is like Meredith saying it's absolutely liberating like it's so freeing because you just don't think to worry about it you don't have it and it's something that particularly if you're an outgoing kind of like forward-facing person you're going to be the one to say like demand you be treated normal but it's portable you don't have to demand that it's just it just is and that's really really pleasant i think yeah it's honestly an experience that i've never had before because even in my quote-unquote able-bodied life there's always going to be things that you face right you're either the only woman in the room or you're politically the only whatever in the room or religiously you're the only whatever in the room right like we have always faced discrimination or some kind of judgment in life just because we might be the minority, right? Um, that doesn't happen. It's not even our disabilities. Like I said, it could be anything. It could be the color of our skin, our sexual orientation, our religion, our politics. None of that stuff matters when you walk into a sportable environment. Everybody is friends. Everybody cares about everybody. Everybody looks after each other. We're so supportive to each other. I mean, to me, it's just, again, until you've felt it in your life, you have no idea what I'm talking about. And I'm just grateful I have felt it, right? I have really felt what that unconditional care and support is like. It's, it's an amazing experience. Man, this is awesome. I don't even have to ask you any questions. You just... <laughs> Hey, being that that professional communicator, right? I didn't tell you how oh, to no, an MBA in marketing. <laughs> you absolutely killed it. Um, well, I like to wrap this up with just kind of a question, just because th this this episode probably won't come out from about a month or so from now. Um, okay. I think we'll probably still be in quarantine mode. So, if you have any pass the time recommendations, books, movies, TV shows, podcasts that you want to pass along. Um, we can talk about that, and then we'll kind of wrap it up. Don't say Tiger King. We already know about Tiger King. We don't need to know. <laughs> so it's so interesting that you asked this question because, again, people in my group, right, the, the blind and visually impaired group, uh, a lot of us don't watch TV, right? A lot of us are not watching a lot of stuff because if our vision is not great to begin with, it's a strain on us to watch a lot of things. So I want to put the shout out to my visually impaired and blind friends and just say, hey, I know it's hard for you all right now. I know it's super isolating to be blind and visually impaired and not be able to, again, watch TV or use your phone or, or whatever means that you look at things, if you can even see the things you're looking at. So uh, 
we are relying a lot on our hearing. We're relying on music podcast so thank you josh for this podcast opportunity and you know this is tremendous again for my community of people with disabilities but honestly i'm old school i hate to say it <laughs> i want to watch the 456 original law and order episodes <laughs> i know that sounds crazy because i could just no, really hit it on demand and just watch them but for me there's like this little challenge to try to knock them all off before this is over I've probably seen 300 and something of them at this point. So I'm a big crime girl. I love true crime. I love, you know, fictitious stuff. But I'm all about <clears throat> murder mysteries, solving things. It, it challenges my mind. When I watch things, I don't just like kind of brain dead activities. I like things that keep my mind moving. And, and are mysterious and, and really challenging. That's the word. I like my mind to be challenged. It keeps me interested. It keeps me excited. So, yeah, I'm not really the big streaming, Netflix-y, that kind of girl. That's not my thing. But, again, for me, I'm a physical person. I have to move. I've got to be out. And I hate to say it, dancing in my house by myself. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, the passing the time for me, I really try to spend most of my time being introspective, uh, going back to kind of where this podcast started. It's about improving myself. It's about making myself better as a person. It's about thinking about who I want to be after this is all over. And I'm not saying that podcasts and TV and, and radio is a waste of my time. It's not a waste of my time, but I'd rather spend my time um, doing things to better myself, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense, and I, I think you're, you know, I think you're a better person for it, for sure. Um, well, look, this was awesome. You did such a great job. Thanks, Josh. Do a little closing thing, and then we're going to wrap up. So um, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, Sportable is a nonprofit. We're always taking donations. That You can do it at sportable.org slash donate. Um, this is a podcast, and it's on Apple Podcasts, so like and subscribe rate and review and all that stuff again i don't know if that matters or not but every other podcast tells you to do that so i'm doing that too um this has been episode four with meredith Sauter. that's meredith with a y don't get it twisted um <laughs> thank you so much for doing this and um hopefully we will talk soon it's my absolute pleasure stay healthy stay engaged and i'll talk to you soon all right bye-bye bye, -bye. bye.